Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Good morning, Living Hope Church. It's wonderful to be with you this morning to open up God's Word one more time and hear what the Lord has for us. But I want to start by just thanking you for praying for our family, uh, specifically for all the love and prayer you've given towards my wife. As many of you might know, she fell off her bike uh, in the week and she was pretty seriously injured. We had to go to the hospital and all those things. And uh, by God's grace, it's not as worse as it could have been. And she's recovering very well, and so we're thankful for all the love and support you guys have given to us as a family and to her specifically. And so thank you for that. But now we want to turn attention to the book of Galatians one more time. Please take your Bibles and open up to Galatians chapter 5. We are finding ourselves towards the end of this wonderful epistle that helps us to understand the doctrine of justification by faith. And we're going to read from verse 7, and we'll read up until verse 12, Galatians chapter 5. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish... Those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Last week we looked at Galatians chapter 5 and verses 7 and 9 specifically, and we saw that the Christian life is often described like running. Like this long and difficult race. And as if life is not challenging enough, we are faced now with people who try to cut in on you and hinder you from staying on the right path. Paul has been pretty vocal about how he feels toward those who are leading people astray. You remember his strong words back in chapter 1 verse 6 where Paul began talking about the, the core problem in Galatia. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are these troublemakers we know by now who are messing with the truth of the gospel. 
We're saying there is a different path you can run on to make it to the end. A path where people can trust in their own works of righteousness rather than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so Paul announced this curse, this, this intense curse in the strong language in verse 8 in chapter 1. He said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be anathema. You remember that? Let him be accursed. We know that after Paul's eyes had been opened by Jesus to the truth of the gospel, that his own running had changed. The path he ran on changed, and the way he was running changed. The way he looked at obedience and love and everything else in his life was different because he was keeping his eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus was the forerunner and the example. Because as Hebrews 6 tells us, that Jesus is our forerunner, running before us, right? Who became man to run the race of suffering and shame and glory, to show all true believers what we are running for and how we should run. And running becomes easier in the sense that when we see someone else do it, we kind of know what to expect, right? We kind of know which way to go. And while Paul was keeping his eyes on Jesus, he ran on the path of grace, focused on the truth of the gospel, and while he was running, his aim was to make known the truth of the gospel. If Paul was going to wear a sponsored t-shirt while he was running, it would have said something like this, Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. You see, Paul didn't run to be saved. He ran because he was saved and he ran to fulfill God's will for his life. Because of the truth of the gospel made Paul selfless. It made him focused. But it also made him confident. Confident. This is what our text of Galatians 5, 10 and 12 is going to show us today. Paul is going to help us see that the true gospel gave him supernatural confidence that even as people are surrounded by all these false teachers and being led astray, that God will get His people back on track, back on the right path, and to the finish line. And that these false teachers will be judged severely for what they are doing. And that if you are back on the right track, living for the truth, and proclaiming the truth, you will indeed continue to experience more resistance. More resistance from the self-focused world around you. In Galatians 5-7, Paul said last week, the Galatians were running well. They were running well. They were off to a good start. But we know the false teachers from Jerusalem have become this hindrance, this obstacle, this voice of satanic persuasion that must be taken out of their way. 
Because if you allow a little bit of that subtle poison of legalism to come into the church, it's going to end up infecting everyone. Paul has been trying everything he can to show the Galatians how this false gospel should be avoided and the seriousness if they do not listen. And he knows that if they get these hindrances or these obstacles out of the way, by listening to what he's saying and responding to the truth, that the church will start to run with more speed again. They will start to run the race of the Christian life with more endurance and more confidence because they will run with their eyes and ears focused on Jesus. Because as any Christian might look at their own life, they might wonder... What confidence can any of us really have that we will make it to the end? When we know that our flesh is so weak, that we know the the attacks of Satan is so strong, that we are bombarded with all these false teachers. When the message of doing religious works and and being a, a morally good person and trusting in yourself is so popular. In other words, what confidence do we have that those who seem to be not running well anymore might run well again? Well, Paul shows us first that those who are on a spiritual detour will find their way back to the path of grace because his confidence is not in them or in himself, but in God. Because the truth of the gospel makes us confident, firstly, that God is going to get His people back on track. That's the first half of verse 10. God is going to get His people back on track. Paul writes this, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. Now try for a moment to put yourself in Paul's shoes again. Imagine you were someone that saw firsthand how the message of free grace changed someone's life after you shared the gospel with him. You've been praying for this person, and you've had the opportunity now to share Christ with them, and you saw how they responded to that truth by living a different life. You saw firsthand how people turned from worshiping the pagan things of this world to embrace their new identity as children of God through faith and trust in Christ. You saw how the gospel set people free to know God and love God and love His Word, love being with His people and serving His people, even those who are from a totally different background or culture. You saw these people who were living radically different lives because of the new convictions they had that was rooted in the finished work of Christ on their behalf. People who looked like they were busy thriving spiritually, who were running well. But then suddenly you hear that they're in danger and being given a different message that will affect their relationship with God and those around them. A message that is going to get them totally off track. If you really love these people, this person you shared the gospel with, who has been changed by the gospel, you will have a great concern for them, right? I mean, there might be even be a kind of worry that is keeping you up at night because of the way uh, your own reputation and the path these people are on spiritually are being attacked. 
And so what do you do? Maybe you want to jump in the car and, or get on a taxi and go see the, this, per, this, pre, this these people in person. To help them think straight and not to be led astray by these lies that will be so damaging to them. But you're not able to get to them. So all you can do is write a letter. Maybe a long email. Trying to explain how God has already been working in their lives through the truth. That you saw it yourself. You can testify to the changes in their lives and how foolish it would be for them to entertain a different message that's going to impact them so spiritually. Paul has been showing us through the letter of Galatians. Not only the, the love and concern he has for those who were running well, but also the confidence he has in the true gospel message. Because it might be tempting to think, well, I, I'm going to write this letter, this email, I hope this person will listen. I hope they will see what's going on. I hope that maybe God will do something in their life again to get them back on track. And Paul is showing us his faith in this moment. That even though he knows how serious the situation in the Galatian church is, that he has absolute confidence in the grace and the promises of Jesus Christ. Because what does he say here in verse 10? Even, even after everything he said about reestablishing his authority as an apostle in chapter 1 and 2. About the doctrine of justification by faith alone in chapters 3 and 4. And the importance of getting rid of these false teachers and their false message here in chapter 5. He is saying that even though it looks like people might be turning away from grace, his confidence is in God. That they will turn back to his message. And this dramatic moment regarding their health of the Galatian church, instead of feeling hopeless and somewhat overwhelmed that he can't do anything, Paul finds his confidence not in the Galatians, not in himself, but in who? In the Lord. I have confidence in the Lord. Paul was convinced that God will get the church back on the right path of free grace. He was confident that God will be the one who will get them back to running on the right path and to the finish line. He was confident that the voice of God will be more convincing than the persuasion of these false teachers. And this is such an important truth for us to have confidence in. Because left to ourselves, we would be without any hope of ever finishing the race. Apart from God, who can successfully complete the race of the Christian life? You see, Paul believed that the grace of God was much bigger than any believer who was getting off track. God was at work here because Paul believed that the grace of God was much bigger than any believer who was getting off track. I mean, how did he say to the church in Philippi? Philippians 1.6, we know this. I am sure of this. Which is another way of saying, I am confident. I'm confident about what, Paul? 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, Paul's gospel confidence that true believers will make it to the end was firmly rooted in God. Why? Because John tells us that Jesus said it himself. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And none, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And so as we see people stumble along the way, this truth helps us sleep at night. It's the kind of truth that helps Paul sleep at night. That God is going to get His children to the end. It's not like Paul's unrealistic about the, the world we are living in. I mean, the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone changed how Paul thought about the way Christians lived in pagan Corinth. How these Christians there could run the race of the Christian life in this immoral society. Because look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He says, God is the one who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called in the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, if you're on your own, depending on yourself, you're guaranteed to fail. You can't make it to the end. You won't make it to the end. But the grace of God is so much bigger than we always believe and understand because God Himself has pledged that He will get those whom He has called home. Paul is showing us here that the strong warnings he gave in verses 2 to 5, in chapter 5 there, verses 2 to 5, about if you trust in works of the law and about Christ being of no advantage to you and being cut off from grace, is now balanced by these words of assurance. In other words, Paul knows what the warnings he gave can be just the thing the church needs to be reminded of the assurance they actually have in Christ. Maybe you've noticed that you yourself are struggling to run well. And perhaps this is what you need to hear today. That you must lean on the God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 And not on yourself. If you have perhaps stumbled and you are struggling to get back to your feet, you can cry out to the God of all grace who has called you in His eternal glory in Christ, who Himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 1 Peter 5 verse 10. Which might mean you must cry out to other runners to come alongside you, to encourage you, to help you to keep your eyes Focused on Jesus. Getting your eyes back on your forerunner who ran the path of death and glory to clear the way for us to run freely in His grace. 
Because it was through suffering and humiliation and even death that Jesus made a path for us that will lead us to His eternal glory. And on this path, He calls us to look at those who have finished the race before us. We memorized this verse early in the year. But how does the author of Hebrews say it? Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, one of the greatest dangers we can face is trying to run the Christian life by ourselves, in isolation. Trying to keep all the pressure you are under or the sin that you are fighting to yourself. And so think of the great cloud of witnesses that have also gone before us. Noah, the drunk, he finished the race. David, the adulterer, finished the race. How? Not because they figure out a way to do enough good works to get them back on the right path. But because God is the one who got them there. There's a cloud of witnesses that have ran this race before us who testify that God will get His people to the end. And He uses these examples and those who are around us even now to make it to the end. To find the encouragement we need to keep going forward in faith and not by trusting in ourselves. And we can be like Paul, having this confidence that as we reach out to those who have maybe stopped running, who are running on the wrong path, that they will come around by God's grace to take the same view as Paul says here. The view that says Jesus is the one who did it all. We do not need any other religious works to carve our own path to the end. Because we are trusting in God to see them respond to the warnings and concerns and the truth we share with them in love. Because as we keep pointing people back to the love of God and Jesus Christ, we ourselves find assurance of God's love. Paul said to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3, 4, And we have confidence, there it is again, and we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Paul is confident that the Lord will direct people's hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And he does that through people like you. Through the local church. To people who are making commitments to the local church. Like we just heard. He uses things like step one of church discipline where you go to someone in private and help them see what they are doing is being confused and going in the wrong direction. He uses things like step two when someone doesn't want to listen where you take other believers and other witnesses with you. And even though people might persist in their foolishness, he can use something like step three where you bring it before the church. Calling on the the corporate body of Christ to reach out to this member who is stuck in a pattern of disobedience. 
and call them back to consider the love and faithfulness of Christ. All of this is done in love, which displays the grace of God to see people get back on the right path. But even if a person persists in their disobedience, the Bible says you might eventually have to treat them like an outsider. Matthew 18. Because they make it clear that they have never truly experienced the joy of deep repentance. The bittersweet moment of letting go of your own pride and ambition and finding yourself at the mercy of God and having a bigger and brighter vision of His grace. And as a result, it puts them on the same path as those who are leading other people astray. Because not only is Paul confident that God will get true believers to the end, he's also confident that those who are leading others astray will be judged. Second half of verse 10. Those who are leading others astray will be judged. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is, Paul says. Now it might be that Paul doesn't know exactly the name of the false teachers, but he knew for sure what was coming for them. The same God that will get His people home through all the challenges of the Christian life is the same God who will judge those people who are troubling His children from running the way they should. I mean, the word penalty here means judgment. And more specifically, the judgment. As in the final judgment. Just as the day is coming where your faith will be made sight, so is the day coming where every false teacher and his false message will be made clear to everyone as well. Which should give us a kind of encouragement, right? I just heard again this week that there are churches not too far from us here in Pretoria where they have meetings during the week to discuss who is going to be the people who are running to the stage to give their life to the Lord when the guy on stage makes his call for people to come forward to pray and receive Jesus. Just so they can create this hype where people feel as if they must join in and come to the front as well. And not knowing that all of this is planned and what is happening behind the scenes, people come then to the front to receive Jesus. But it's empty. Because they come trusting in this moment and this experience and not in what Christ has done for them through the cross. Well, thankfully, the people who shared this with us are now planning to leave this church, which is like an answer to prayer. Paul is helping us have a confidence that God will be the judge and that when we hear of new cults, of churches embracing liberal theology, we don't have to panic. We don't have to panic. In fact, the Bible tells us this is what we should expect. But now the Bible also says that we can have confidence in the gospel, that true believers will make it home, and these false teachers will be judged. The day is coming where every false teacher will be judged for every false word. Because look how Jesus said it. Matthew 18.7 Woe to the world for temptations to sin. 
For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. So we know these guys are going to be around. We know they're going to generate a crowd and have people who listen to their falsehood. But Peter said it well. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 2 verse 9. He says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. In other words, God knows how to get His people home and those who are leading others away from the church will face His judgment. This is guaranteed. In fact, Paul shows us how serious about this at the end of verse 12, Galatians 5.12. What does he say there? I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. You see, as these false teachers in Galatia were busy making such a big deal about circumcision, Paul's like, why stop with circumcision? You false teachers should just go all the way and cut everything off. They mean, but like, wow, Paul, that sounds a bit rough and under the belt, don't you think? But he's not becoming violent and wishing that people would suffer physical harm. He's more speaking in spiritual terms here. Because he says they should emasculate themselves as a way of saying they should just cut off everything so they could no longer produce any children of slavery. Now it could be that there's a bit of background to what Paul's saying here because there was this pagan group in those days where the men would go through this whole procedure of removing all their, their genitals and not just stop with circumcision as part of their religion. Which seems strange, right? But it could also be the Old Testament. Because in Deuteronomy 23.1, it talks about those whose males or, male organs were cut off were not allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. Which is like Paul saying that these troublemaking Judaizers should emasculate themselves and be cut off from the church. And so Paul helps us to get the right perspective. Because not only is he confident that true believers will come around to see the truth of what it really is. He is confident that we don't have to get violent and physical with these false teachers, but know that God will judge them at the right time. And if God's judgment is already against them, it's not like they need mine. Which means our faith is not in our ability to get people out of this cult or this liberal church. But our confidence is in God that He can rescue people even while they are in these places and that He can lead them to the right church. Where Jesus and the cross is proclaimed. Because not only is Paul confident that people will make it on the right path and that these false teachers will be judged. He is confident that as you start to pick up more momentum as you're running freely for the Lord and with the Lord, that you are going to be met with more resistance. That the message of Jesus Christ and His cross as the only way to make it to the end, by faith, will be offensive and lead to people rejecting you. And so that's our third and final point. We can be confident in the gospel that the message of grace will continue to receive pushback. 
the message of grace is going to continue to receive pushback. He says, but if I, brothers, verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Is that case the offense of the cross that has been removed? You see, even as we lay aside all the weights that hinders us from running well and remove the, the obstacles from our way, knowing that God is the one who will get us home, and that He will judge those who need to be judged, we will also be met with people who find the way of running offensive. In other words, if even as you are made free to run, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy because even as we remove hindrances from our lives and from the church, the world we'll live, that we live in will continue to give you pushback. Why? Because the gospel message of only trusting in Jesus is offensive. Remember that we have said that before that the Judaizers were saying, look at Paul. He also preaches circumcision. Because Paul allowed others to get circumcised to open the door of ministry to the Jews. We talked about this. But Paul's like, well, if that's true, if I continue to preach circumcision and salvation by works through works, then why do I still face persecution in my life? If I was going to go around preaching circumcision, then why do people chase me from one town to the other and throw me out and try to stone me and leave me for dead? Because that is the reality if you're running for Jesus and living a life that shows that you're not saved by what you do, then you will experience resistance from the world around you. And so Paul is confident that the pushback will not go away. Which again is helpful. If you are faithful to the gospel and to the cross of Jesus Christ, then you will get pushback. In fact, the only way to remove all the pushback is to stop obeying the gospel. The only way to remove all the pushback is to stop obeying the gospel. And Paul would rather die than alter the message of liberation in Jesus Christ. He would rather die than alter the message that there is nothing we can do to make things right with God, but that God has made things right with us through the bloody death of His Son. And that's the reality we face if we live for Christ. That we might be rejected by the world, and we will be rejected by the world, if we are living in such a way that shows that our faith is only in Jesus. And that we'd rather obey Jesus and His Word. One man says, he says, To live and preach Christ and the cross is to invite ridicule, opposition, hardships, persecution, and even death. Because that is the offense of the cross. And so if you continue to think of the Christian life as a race, then for many people, especially the Jews... The cross was the obstacle that kept tripping people up. It was this major stumbling block for people to accept Christianity. And the thing is, it remains a stumbling block to every moral individual today as well. Why? 
Why? Because people hate to be told they need to go to the cross. Because what they see when they get there is Jesus of Nazareth hanging naked and His blood-drenched sacrifice for us. And you know what that tells them? It tells them that they are not as good as they think they are. Because what it says about them is that they are sinners who need a Savior. And so the cross becomes offensive to people because they don't want to admit they need someone else to save them. People would much rather do something to save themselves than to admit that the only way to be saved by is by someone they don't even really know. See, but the problem we face as Christians in the church is that we are not sure when to be offensive, right? We're not always clear on when we should be offensive. We want to fit in with the culture around us. We want people to like us. We don't like to offend other people. And if we're not careful, we might slowly be removing the very thing that should offend people, which is Christ and the cross. But then on the other hand, we might also have people in the church who think they are being offensive for Christ, but it's that they are rather seeking to convey their own personal preferences. Oh, we know this so well, don't we? But here's the thing. We don't have to add our own personal offense to the cross because the cross is offensive enough. The cross is offensive enough. In other words, let Jesus and the cross be what offends people and not my opinion about how they should be living their lives. Because it's the cross that helps people see that they are sinners. And it's the cross where they meet the Savior for that sin. And that is why we're confident. And not only will preaching Christ and living for Christ invite persecution into our lives, but as the Apostle Peter said, write this on your wall, Acts 4.12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the message that offends people. Not the message that says take matters into your own hands and just do a little bit better and God will be okay with you. See, the gospel makes us free and the gospel makes us confident. Confident that God is going to be the ultimate voice that leads His people home. That those who are leading others astray need to be cut off from the church and they will be judged by God in a severe way. And the gospel also makes us confident that as we run the race of the Christian life, we will be offensive to the world around us. But we've got to pray. We've got to pray that we are living and loving and running in such a way that it is the cross that offends people. Our faith in Jesus that offends people. And not our own ideas of what it means to be running well in order that people can meet the one that offends them and they can see the love He has for them by turning and repenting and trusting in Christ alone. And so as we keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, as the author of Hebrews says, 
we can expect to follow the same path as he did, right? The path of suffering and shame and even death. Because that is the path that leads to eternal glory. That is the path that leads to the bride of Christ. That leads the bride of Christ to her groom. You see, as the false teachers of this world seek to flirt with the bride of Christ, we can be confident that Jesus is coming for His bride. He's coming for us to vindicate us, to heal us, and to glorify us. I love how the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. See, God wants the bride of Christ to be this object of wonder. That's you. He wants the world to look at her righteousness and see his salvation. And Jesus is the most passionate, has the most passionate love for his bride. And so we can be confident that the groom will get his bride ready for that final day when he returns. Because Isaiah 62.3 goes on to say, You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Because this is what God does. He takes people, wasting away in the dirt of sin, wretched and helpless, and He picks them up, He cleanses them, and He makes them beautiful, a crown of beauty, a royal diadem, and He does it through the blood of the groom. So we can leave here confident today, confident in the gospel, confident that God will lead His people home, confident that God will judge those who are leading others astray, confident knowing that as we live for Christ and proclaim the only way of true salvation, that even as we are met with resistance, we have an opportunity to introduce people to a great Savior who is making people ready and beautiful for His return. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much that we don't have to run the race of the Christian life on our own. Thank You for the confidence we can have in the Gospel that You will indeed lead the true children of God to eternal glory in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the confidence that we can have, that even as we see false teachers emerge amongst us and around us, Lord, that we do not have to panic and get worried, but we can have confidence that you will deal with them accordingly. And so, Father, in a sense, that frees us to love people in the gospel. That frees us to pursue people in the gospel. Knowing that as we do that, we will be met with more resistance. But Lord, as we are met with more resistance, it's all the more opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ and His cross. That if we are maybe scared of offending someone, we would let Christ be the one that offends them.
Because that might be the opportunity they meet the Savior they need. Thank you, Lord, that you are building your church. That you are committed to your church. That you are making us more beautiful for the day of your return. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.